Hello and welcome to Future Fluency, a podcast from the National Association of Corporate Directors. I'm Dylan Sandlin, Senior Analyst for Content at NACD. Today we continue our conversation with Melissa Pashal, Melody Meyer, and Marion Hancock, discussing the key considerations directors should keep in mind as they address the ongoing climate crisis in their own boardrooms. Climate change represents a major global systemic risk that boards cannot ignore. And while climate and environmental discussions are full board issues, each board is different and needs to plan based on their unique situation. As the situation outside the boardroom changes, boards must be willing to adapt their approach to governing these issues. Our guests today pivot their discussion from external factors directors should be aware of when discussing climate change to what directors and boards can do inside their boardroom to meet this challenge. Melissa, Melody, and Marianne cover a diverse set of governance issues, ranging from the role of each committee in discussing climate change, questions of materiality, financial disclosure, board composition, and executive compensation, emphasizing that climate impacts the board at all levels and will continue to be a major agenda item for boards in the future. Now, to kick things off, Melody and Marianne discuss some of the leading practices coming out of current climate research that boards should be aware of. At the board level, I would say most companies keep a risk matrix and they continually look at this matrix and many risks on a risk matrix have evolved. Uh, You look at cybersecurity has evolved substantially over time. Certainly pandemic risk was very different from when it was originally on our risk matrices to what we just experienced with COVID. And also with respect to climate impacts or advancing low carbon in the energy transition space definitely accelerated for very good reason. And those risk matrices need to always be refreshed and updated. And again, I think I would encourage all boards to look and make sure that they're refreshed and we're looking at risks and that they are allocated out into the right conversations, either at main board or in committee levels. We often refer to something I've heard a CEO call the math of the path. And if you're trying to figure out your path to net zero, Understanding the magnitude of the sources of savings you will have from different initiatives is really helpful and really important because then it can align the resources you need against those and such. And sometimes it's not that intuitive until you actually scratch the surface and, and understand what the magnitude is for each of those paths. So one is the map of the path, and then you align CapEx, OpEx, as I mentioned before, product R&D and product design to those. Obviously, those have different meanings for a technology company versus a materials company versus a retailer, right? Just the sector actually really matters. The second thing I would just mention, though, is that perhaps a little bit less talked about at the private company level, and perhaps Melody sees this much more in the public company space, is the actual physical climate risk. And I think we are unfortunately all beginning to experience that in spades, but it is part of the conversation that needs to take place, and the two are not unrelated. And so it is important to have in that board discussion, what is our adaptation plan? Where are the risks in our supply chain? And again, that is a great awakening moment because we are seeing things happen that were not thinkable necessarily a decade ago. This is a topic that we talk about a lot at Theories. Board level climate competency is absolutely crucial. It doesn't necessarily mean you need a climate scientist on the board. So we sort of break this down into two different components. And one is around expertise. And that's, you know, what sort of director do you need to onboard? Or maybe it's two or three directors in order to bring that expertise in. And it's important that you don't just focus on, for 
example, someone who's a climate scientist, but instead you have someone who can make that bridge between the science or the advocacy and the business implications. We saw this play out with Exxon last summer where Exxon actually had a renowned climate scientist on the board since 2017, that's Susan Avery of Woods Hole. And that was not enough to satisfy investors. And so the new slate that was voted in included new board members who have real transformation experience, business transformation in the energy sector. And that's a very important skill set to focus on when you think about who do you recruit onto the board? And then the other side of this is around the full board set of competencies, because you can have one or more experts, but if nobody knows how to take in what they're saying and process it and apply it, then they will end up being siloed. So not everyone needs to be an expert, but you need some level of full board education that will allow the full board to engage in nuanced discussions and make smart decisions around climate. And there are a lot of resources out there for this. Of course, I need to point first to NACD's continuous learning cohort on ESG. And Ceres did participate in some of the panels for that last time around. I certainly hope NACD will offer it again in 2022. It seemed to be really well done. And if I do say so myself, Ceres also has an executive education program that's sort of shorter and more tightly curated that we do at the Berkeley School of Law. So those are all great resources, more and more coming out every day. And another way to educate your full board is to maybe bring in a consultant that can do a customized board presentation. So there are a lot of options, but the crucial pieces, again, are just having the expertise and also having the full board education that lets you tap into that expertise. My thoughts on this are very similar to Melissa's. It's really important at the board level to have a diverse expertise and the resources and time devoted to the education needed for emerging risks like climate and other ESG issues. There has to be time to be able to deep dive into those strategic issues, understand stakeholder and investor expectations, and also societal expectations. So I don't believe there's any one single expertise, but it's the diversity and the deep knowledge and where there are emerging risks, the education process is important to bring in people for that education process. So as boards look for new board members, it's good to look at a board profile of competency and understand where the company's going, where the strategy's going, and always find opportunities to complement the diversity of the board with new members as possible to bring in that competency. But the key is the education. I know on one of my boards, in a certain area of expertise has put on educational sessions for the board members and assigned mentors within the company to help us on strategic objectives in the company to make sure that we are well-informed. And I think those strategies are really important to be sure the competencies are deep and the knowledge is there. I think that's extremely important. All boards are different. And on one of my boards, we have regular opportunities to engage with groups of employees. We have opportunities to make field visits, which are invaluable to have the opportunity to get out into an operating location and be able to ask questions on the ground of the culture, the safety performance, the sustainability, the projects that are being advanced around low carbon emission agendas, things like that. So we do that on a regular basis. And I think most boards provide those opportunities as well as bringing expertise into the boardroom and sharing deeper knowledge of projects and progress. 
And while it's important to think through board composition, education, and how the board stays engaged with their organizations, another quickly evolving factor in all of this is regulation and disclosure. Melissa, we'll kick it back to you. What are you hoping to see come out of the SEC relating to climate disclosure rules? If you want to know what Ceres would like to see from the SEC, I believe we have an 88-page memo that we submitted to them. But we've been very involved in their request for comment process in a couple of different ways. One was where we created a general sort of sign-on submission where a whole coalition of our stakeholders were able to say, yes, like these are the things we want to see. We want to see TCFD used as a model, a whole bunch of different points. Obviously, we want to see mandatory climate disclosure in general, but more around how to implement it and learn from what's been done in the voluntary space to make sure that we do it well. And then there's a much deeper set of recommendations that Ceres has been engaging with the SEC on. And they've been incredibly responsive. Like this is the type of thing we didn't imagine could happen so quickly, but we really see this as being part of the future of climate reporting. So, you know, as part of continual risk management at the board level, board should ensure that all risks and ESG issues are considered. They need to decide, are they handled or discussed at the main board level or in committee? And in my opinion, because sustainability is in a very important framework that's tied to the purpose and the strategy of the company, real often sustainability framework should be at the main board level, but the implementation and effectiveness of that sustainability sustainability framework can be monitored and be addressed at a committee level. So it often depends on of of the elements of sustainability, which are the most important to be dealt with at the main board versus committee. And it's important that every company at the board level look into that. My personal view is for sustainability, we should all start with the UN sustainability goals as companies at the board level looking to see which of those goals can be affected and improved and acted on at a corporate level and then decide from that those UN sustainability goals, what is the sustainability framework that's appropriate for that company? So I think that the important thing that's covered, the sustainability is, you know, the framework can be done at a main board level. Maybe some of the most important elements of that framework, maybe a carbon agenda is dealt at the main board, but the effectiveness and implementation could be covered in committees and it could be actually dispersed among several committees because ESG is not necessarily into one committee framework. It might be spread across. Key is to be sure that it is effectively covered at whatever level is appropriate. As businesses are making big moves in their operations and within their boards to address the threat of climate change, it's important to have systems in place to evaluate board performance and the effectiveness of the board in overseeing these issues. Marianne, what KPIs would you suggest boards use to measure the success or progress an organization is making on their climate goals? With any good KPI or measurement framework, you want to start with what are you trying to change or trying to encourage in the behaviors. And one of the biggest things I think we societally are going through, but also business leadership is going through, is what I would just think of as a a bit of a great awakening around climate and climate science. So unlike those who have been at this for 40 years, like Ceres, and some of the corporations that have been in the thick of this, for many, many people, it really is an experience of successive learning. So when I think about a board, one of the things first and foremost would be about awareness and education. 
What are the backgrounds of those who are on the board? Does anyone have any background that brings a climate experience or a sensitivity and awareness of climate science? What are the discussion topics at the board level, as Melody said, both within a committee, but also, as she also noted, in a broader board setting so that people can be increasing their own personal learning and awareness? So that's one level. The second level then goes to the really the disciplines that corporations are adopting and really need to be adopting in order to incorporate all of those learnings into the actual business that they are leading. And here, the Task Force for Climate-Related Financial Disclosures lends a good framework around this. And it has to go with the kinds of behaviors you'd want to see for a company that needs to deal with this. So, for example, there's both transition risk from regulatory or commercial business trends. There's also physical climate risk. How is the management of a corporation bringing those into their capital expenditure budgets, their operation budgets, their human capital planning, and their commercial budgets. That in and of itself is an interesting question for the board to be engaging with any company. Of course, there are certain companies where this has been at the forefront and they are in the forefront of this change. And so those are old hat. They've been doing that for a long time. But this at this point is really a set of discussions for, for every company. We'll hear more from Melissa, Melody, and Marianne in just a minute. We recently had an opportunity to speak with Alicia Rose, Deputy CEO, Strategic Initiatives at Deloitte. Deloitte recently published The Turning Point, a new economic climate in the United States, which discusses the economic impact of climate change here in the U.S. Alicia, welcome. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us a bit about the report and some of the major takeaways for businesses and boards? As noted in our report, over the past 50 years, the U.S. had $1.4 trillion in economic losses due to weather, climate, and water hazards. Yet, dominant economic projections tend to assume that economies will experience business-as-usual growth, unaffected by climate change, meaning any action on climate change simply appears as a cost. Deloitte's U.S. Turning Point Report issued by the Deloitte Economics Institute, shares findings that quantify the impact of unchecked climate change on the U.S. economy. Our report finds that if the U.S. moves toward rapid decarbonization, we could avoid much of the economic losses and take advantage of entirely new opportunities that are likely to emerge. Deloitte's report illustrates scenarios where an alternative industrial revolution in the U.S., one built on low emissions growth, could create a shift away from the losses associated with the climate crisis and create a more prosperous economy. Our analysis shows that if the U.S. chooses to adopt a holistic path towards decarbonization, we could see a $3 trillion gain to the U.S. economy by 2070. Every region of the country could benefit. On the flip side, unchecked climate change is a costly choice for the U.S. If global warming nears three degrees Celsius, our analysis shows that could cost the U.S. economy $14.5 trillion in the next 50 years, making it harder for people to live and work. Alicia, why is the information in this report important for business leaders right now? Deloitte's analysis indicates there is a narrow window of time this next decade to make the decisions that can help to change our climate trajectory to reach a turning point by 2048, where the economic benefits of decarbonization start to exceed the combined costs to transition and the cost of locked-in climate change. 
The analysis demonstrates that climate change is an economic imperative for the U.S., and the time to act is now. Thanks for talking with us, Alicia. Thank you for inviting me to discuss this important topic. That was Alicia Rose, Deputy CEO of Strategic Initiatives at Deloitte. Now, let's dive back in with our guests, discussing how to hold companies and executives accountable to these large organizational changes. I certainly think that it is a trend just factually that more compensation is being linked there. And I think that that has its role for sure. Uh, I think it's also important to recognize the metrics themselves always require interpretation and always require context. And I'll just mention two aspects of that that are critical. We should not have a climate discussion and a company should not be having climate metrics reviews that don't also consider the human side and the S side and the climate justice side of what we're discussing. And it is tempting because it can sometimes seem like it's easier to measure carbon, although it's pretty complicated if you actually when you actually try to do it. But the S side is really critically important. So workers' experiences of extreme heat is also important as an example. Certainly COVID has brought that all to the fore, but we'd want to make sure that in any well-balanced set of remuneration principles that you are thinking about the S as well as the E. The second thing is that they're more broadly societally we need people to fix problems we don't need companies to uh, and investors to sell off those problems and so we need to be thoughtful about how we incentivize and look at metrics of change and rates of change and, and what's driving that change as opposed to simply decreases in the absolute numbers so we need people to invest in the hard work of decarbonizing their operations, not selling them off to owners who perhaps will be less attuned to that kind of improvement. It's absolutely crucial. You know, just like for any important operational goals you have in your business, you have to incentivize them. And so tying executive compensation to climate and other ESG targets is something we've been very focused on lately. And in fact, we have a small partnership going on with Semler Brasi right now where we're working on a series of three articles that will be sort of a how-to for companies that want to go about this. Because what Semler Brasi is seeing in their consulting with companies around compensation is that a lot of companies are asking to start to put these incentives in place, but there's a lot of steps that they need to go through first before they're ready to do it. And so that's where Semler Brasi has the interest in having Siri step in and say, well, here's what you put in place, and then here is how you can structure it. And I really want to echo what Marianne said around, you know, it's not simple, it's nuanced, it depends on the context. And based on the interest we've been seeing from companies and from investors, and based on the discussions we've been having, I really feel like this is definitely going to see increased activity. And the real question is not going to be whether companies should tie compensation to climate, but how can they tie it in a way that's really going to meet the goals that we have? I definitely think it should be tied to compensation. And I think a lot of companies are moving that direction, which is a good, it's, it's an important part of strategy for a company and it needs to be measured. 
I think that all directors need to make sure that the conversations that they're having in the boardroom are really relevant to the societal expectations, our investors and our stakeholder expectations around ESG and advancing net zero carbon ambitions and all of the other really important sustainability goals that they have as a company. So I would just encourage all directors to take that back and ensure those conversations are deep and robust and integrated with strategy. I would say that is really good advice in this case. Every one of us needs to be reading everything we can about climate change. We need to be learning and learning and learning. And then we need to be asking questions because it does actually pervade all aspects of our economy and all aspects of the businesses that are making the economy run. So be well and be well read. The one piece of advice that I would give to directors is to recognize that we are in a transition now. We are in a transition to a low carbon economy. And the only question really is, is that gonna be an organized and smooth transition or is it gonna be a chaotic and disorganized transition? And for companies to raise their ambitions from their own activities, which are absolutely essential of course, but to also using their political influence to make sure that we do have an organized transition and that the policies are in place that allow them to innovate and bring out new products and be supported in that. You know, if it's electric cars, there needs to be an infrastructure to use them. This is true, you know, in in too many examples to list, but it's just crucially important that companies think outside of their own operations and into the landscape that they are able to influence and that they will be able to either thrive or or struggle within. That's all for this week, listeners. We hope you've enjoyed these episodes featuring some amazing insights from NACD and our partners. Keep an eye out for more great content from NACD. For more resources and guest bios, check out the episode page at nacdonline.org slash podcast. Future Fluency is produced and edited by Bruno Falcon. This podcast is a production of the National Association of Corporate Directors. For more information on NACD or to become a member, please visit nacdonline.org.